Welcome, disciple makers, and thank you for joining us. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board Discipleship Team, led by Scott Sullivan, exists to help churches take the next step toward becoming a healthy, disciple-making church. We've developed tools to help you, like the Watershed Principle, which identifies six main ministries needed to be a healthy church. The Spark Conference, a total church strengthening event that allows you to access keynotes and breakouts all year long for ongoing training in your ministry area. Access it today at thesparkconference.com. We're also setting up learning communities across Georgia to sharpen, encourage, and resource leaders personally and professionally. Find a community near you at gabaptist.org discipleship. Don't forget, you can find our previous episodes on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and your favorite podcast platform. Now let's join today's broadcast. Hey, hey, what a great day to serve the Lord and make world-impacting disciple-makers. Today, I'm interviewing two special guests with a story to tell uh, that I, that's going to blow you away. You're going to want to make sure that you watch this through the end. Uh, lots of really cool items we're going to upload today. First, I've got Lorna Bias. She's the director of our Mission Georgia for the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. And we'll be talking through the five areas of Mission Georgia, which is home, human trafficking, pre- and postnatal care, childhood literacy, refugees and internationals, and then foster care and adoption. And we'll work through those first areas, but where we'll really camp is on that fifth one. And I'm going to bring my daughter in. Many of you have not met her, but you've heard me tell stories about Erica, and uh, we'll interview her towards the end. So uh, Lorna and Erica, thank you for being on with us today. Thank you for having us. And a reminder for all of you that are watching today, we have a stack of resources that we want to give to you. So make sure that you leave a comment and you'll be entered into our drawing, just like we do every week. And if you'll share the link, you'll get double entry into the drawing and double portion of stars in heaven when you get there. So please do that. Now, Lorna, Mission Georgia is huge. Just, just one of the most important, one of the biggest things that we do at the Georgia Baptist Mission Board and it's been around really for a long time, but the emphasis in the last couple of years with this whole shift of who we are now, it has changed. And those specific areas is what I wanna talk about today. So let's jump into that. Uh, the website, just to kind of give people a reference, and we'll put that in the link as well, is www.missiongeorgia.org. And the first one, Lorna, is human trafficking. And it seems like I heard you say one time, that there was like $3 million a year that was, uh, or month that was uh, coming from Georgia as in, in, the, in terms of human trafficking. And we were like in the top 10 in the nation for this. Tell us about this human trafficking and what we're doing through Mission Georgia. Yeah, thank you, Scott. Well, it's great to really talk about how Georgia Baptist, the Georgia Baptist family is coming around some of the most critical needs in our state. Uh, we like to say we want to bring the gospel to those who are farthest from it. And mm. we're not necessarily talking geographically. We're talking circumstantially. So uh, in the case of like human trafficking, like you're saying, uh, it's been reported that, yes, Atlanta is actually uh, number 14 in the world for human trafficking cities. And uh, Georgia, though, has human trafficking in every county. I know we might have some listeners who say, well, I don't live in Atlanta. It's not a big deal in my county. It's actually in every county in Georgia. And so we do, we wanna help bring gospel-centered care 
around this need. And so really what we're doing is we're looking county by county, region by region, and we're looking at who are the ministry partners who are there and serving um, these uh, victims, but also working to help prevent human trafficking. Uh, that's a huge thing that our churches can do. It's been shown that wherever uh, human trafficking uh, prevention efforts uh, take place in a community, human trafficking actually activity goes down. And yeah. so we feel like the need is huge. The industry is huge. We know that uh, hundreds, literally hundreds of teenage girls every night in Georgia are being trafficked. And mm -hmm. so we feel like this is something we can help prevent. And so, yes, we, we want to um, help our churches and individuals know how to bring gospel-centered care uh, into this very dark arena in our own state. That's great. Let me highlight two things that you mentioned, Lorna. One of those you, you said, yeah, you know, Atlanta, and we talk about that a lot. I mean, all of the stuff that's happening in Atlanta, and it sometimes gets highlighted. But I think it's important for people to know that human trafficking, sex trafficking is happening in your neighborhood outside yes. of Atlanta, in yes. urban and rural areas and neighborhoods all throughout Georgia. That's a great point that you make, because this is one of those things that all of us need to be aware. Now, let me highlight something else. The money that it takes to battle this hideous movement throughout our state, particularly uh, even in, in, in the United States, it's coming from a cooperative program, right? Well, yes, it primarily is coming through. Uh, are you asking, like, how are we combating this issue at Georgia Baptist? Right, That's right. really coming through our Mission Georgia offering. And yeah. so uh, a couple of years ago, when Thomas Hammond came and uh, began leading us as the executive director, um, his passion is really bringing the gospel to our state. And he really has a passion for especially the most, most vulnerable in our state. As I said, those who are often farthest from it. And so really what he has done uh, with our leadership is to reposition Mission Georgia. He, he likes to say, and I love this, that our Mission Georgia is now our love offering to our state. And so really as Georgia Baptist, we're now giving through Mission Georgia and we are using the funds to help support efforts that directly interact not only with human trafficking victims, but with the ministries who are serving them and also prevention efforts. So really it's a shift. We're primarily doing our support through Mission Georgia, the offering that we actually are emphasizing during the month of September. That's great. And several of us are speaking. Uh, I know the emphasis yes. during the month of September, but we can actually speak anytime during the year mm -hmm. for That's right. this emphasis. So if, if a church wanted to have somebody come and preach on a Sunday morning, there are people throughout our state that are on our team that can help to go do that. Now let's turn the page to our next area at Mission Georgia. It's the pre and postnatal care. And yeah. it surprised me when I was looking at the website and it said Georgia is, uh, if I remember right, ranked worse in the country or in that top two or three in the country right. for maternal mortality. And that we even have 75 of our 159 counties in Georgia don't even have a practicing OBGYN. That's right. That's right. It is surprising. You know, a couple of years ago, Georgia, unfortunately, was number one in uh, uh, the uh, maternal mortality, which in case somebody doesn't know, that might be a new term. Maternal mortality is simply the death of the mother during or shortly after giving birth. 
And so we actually have uh, a higher maternal mortality rate, the death of mothers, um, than some third world countries. And that just shouldn't be. And so really what we're wanting to emphasize with pre and postnatal care is that we um, really want to come around the mother and we want to make sure that she is getting the, the physical, the emotional, certainly the spiritual help that she needs so that she can be healthy during her pregnancy and then that she has the support that she needs after. I was actually just reading recently on a report that um, the majority of deaths that happen uh, during this time period is within 54 days after giving birth. And so a lot of times we go, oh, you know, um, wow, it's great. You know, they had a baby. We're so excited. She's home. No problem. That's actually not the case. And so we feel like because of just the incredible support in Georgia that we give um, to life, we believe in the, the, the worth and the value of every baby in a womb. We want, also want to bring that passion around the mother who is carrying that child. And we want to minister to her. And we feel like, again, this, this just fits uh, hand in glove with the heart of our Georgia Baptist family to, to really bring gospel-centered care uh, to a woman at a very critical time in her life. Yes. And that, and that infancy, this what we're talking about, mortality of, of mothers and having children, this also leads into this next one, which is childhood literacy. And right. I was surprised at some of the the ideas, because really when I thought about childhood liter literacy, honestly, Lorna, the first, my first thought was, okay, now why would that be one of our top right. five <laughs> engagements that we're going to be, you know, fighting everything for, building everything we can to, to battle this kind of thing? But when I saw that nearly half of all children in Georgia school systems are not reading at their grade level, and that children that are not reading at their grade level by the fourth grade, that 70% of them end up spending time in jail and the majority of them are on welfare. I just begin to think, oh my goodness, this system that has developed this, that's not helping our families. Tell us a little more about that. Yeah, it's stunning. I'm, I'm totally like you. When I first heard about childhood literacy as a ministry focus several years ago, my first picture in my head was, you know, why do cute little kids reading a book need help? But yes. that's the problem that we don't have enough children in our state who are reading those books as they should be able to. And, you know, it's a stunning reality that um, half of the kids in our state that we're trying to reach with the gospel, half of those kids in grade school uh, couldn't read a Sunday school lesson well. They can't read the Bible well. They can't read a PowerPoint with songs you know, with the words going across it. So it, it is a very practical issue, but I also want to quickly remind everyone, you know, as, as Baptists, we believe that every person should have the opportunity to know Jesus personally. And we know that the primary way we know him is through his word. And so I think you and I probably take for granted the fact that when we were uh, age grade kids, when we could read a Bible and we were given one, we could actually read it. And so we want to make sure that kids in our state know how to read um, for life, but also, as scripture says, for life and godliness. And so, yes, um, it's, it's actually a stunning fact, too, that um, many states, if not all states, actually look at the reading scores each year and predict or project 
the number of beds they will need in their jail facilities down the road. And so there is a direct correlation between um, crime and reading levels. And then it is also affecting, um, as you mentioned, the poverty. So the poverty level increases in a community when the um, reading levels decrease. And so again, this is just something uh, we feel like as, as Georgia Baptist churches, we love kids. I mean, we have children's ministries all over the state. Even I always say, even the smallest country church uh, in the most rural area does a fabulous job loving kids. I mean, as soon as a kid comes in the door, I mean, we know how to encourage them and bless them. And we have VBS and all these things. And so what we're saying is, hey, let's bring that to our communities, because as Thomas Hammond often reminds us, seven out of 10 people in our state uh, do not know Christ. And right. so that means seven out of 10 children in our state don't know Christ. And yeah. so we have um, put together with our Georgia Baptist Literacy Team, a resource called Read Georgia. And it's a simple way where churches can partner with their local schools and go and volunteer once a week to help kids learn how to read in their elementary school. And it's been shown to really make a, a dramatic impact. That's fantastic. And that leads us into our next one because I was reading that, you know, we have refugees and internationals that are coming to Georgia for sure. Mm -hmm. And I read yeah. that we had over a million Georgians were actually born in another country and 79% of them are Christians coming here. A lot of them coming because of persecution, and that's just huge. Tell us a little more about refugees and internationals. Yeah, yeah, and this really takes on a, a, a critical tone right now. I know many of our listeners are very aware of what's happening in Afghanistan, and actually right now we're preparing with ministry partners um, to receive refugees who are coming from Afghanistan. So I'll say first of all that refugee is a legal status. So that is given by the United States government. Um, person has to go through lots of uh, lots of processes to be given that, and so they are they are legal. So yes. a refugee is a very uh, particular type of person who comes from overseas. And then we have many internationals. We have international students at our colleges and universities all over the state. Uh, and then we have people who come to the United States and they start businesses. So this kind of spreads out into lots of areas, and that's why. Again, people think of this just being in Atlanta, but really we have um, internationals all over our state. And we just believe we have an opportunity uh, to be a part of, of Acts 1-8 right here in our own state. So you don't have to get a passport to reach the world with the gospel. Um, you can simply be a friend to an international neighbor or a business um, or college students. That's one of the biggest uh, um, places that I think churches are overlooking is we have a lot of college and university students who are on our campuses and they come looking for friendships. And I love what my pastor says, Pastor Trent Deloach, where I go to church at Clarkson International Bible Church. He says, I want every international to have a Christian friend. And so at the very least, I hope our listeners will think about that. How can you just be a a friend to someone who speaks another language and was born in another nation. Because what we found is, is that especially through the refugee resettlement, uh, many of these nations where, where they are coming from is actually close to the gospel. We can't send yeah. missionaries in. And so in God's um, sovereign kindness, 
he is actually bringing uh, these people from nations that are closed. And now they are here with us. And guess what? They're open to the gospel. That's it. And that leads us to our fifth aspect of Mission Georgia. And uh, I saw a statistic that said nearly 400 children in foster care will sleep in a hotel tonight and will yes. spend about $2 million this year on hotel costs to, to house those children because we don't have families that are able to take them in. And, uh, and I, it seems like, Lorna, I saw in, in 2021 that we've had over 13,000 children in the Georgia foster care system. Can you share, share with us briefly just um, deeper dive into that foster care and adoption? Yes, it, it is one of the really most heartbreaking tragedies in our state uh, is that we do, um, as we know, sin creates brokenness and that brokenness shows up in families. And I do want to say, as we think about foster kids, I always want to remind people, pray for biological families that are dealing with brokenness that yes. causes their children to have to go into foster care. And so, yes, unfortunately, on an average every night, there are 400 children having to stay in hotels with, um, with paid staff because we don't have enough foster homes in Georgia to put them in. And every, this is another thing, every single county in Georgia has children in foster care. So if you're listening, you can look at your county and you can find out how many children are in foster care in your county. And many of our counties um, have ministries that help churches serve those needs. And so um, ironically, Scott, just about eight or nine years ago, our state had half the number of children in foster care. So mm. we only had about 8,000. Yeah. Um, and so we can see this number come back down again, but what's pushing it is the drug crisis. And yeah. so there's just a real surge. And we really, we really believe again, churches can uh, come together and meet this need because there are beautiful, wonderful children who are caught up in this brokenness, who um, just need a family to provide some love and support through some unstable circumstances in their life. That's no fault of their own. And what a great segue into my daughter, Erica, who's also yeah. with us on the broadcast today. Erica, thank you for joining us. And you see, Erica is, has been part of our family. I guess probably, Erica, the first time that I met you was 2012 on a mission trip to Lac de Flambeau, Wisconsin. And uh, we had a group up there. And that's when I heard her testimony of uh, her dad passing away when she was 10 with cancer and mom not necessarily in the picture at that point in her life. And um, it was just a difficult situation. My heart broke when I just listened to her story and I, and I could see the emotion and the struggle and the pain in her face. And she called me one day when we got back. And Erica, you asked me about, you know, you, we were talking about the difficult living situation that you were in. Um, you had been abused as an older child and, and younger uh, youth age. And you came to me one day and you asked me if, if you could get emancipated. And I remember my response to you is, listen, I can't even spell emancipation, but I can hire a lawyer. <laughs> remember that. So we did. I hired a bulldog and man, he got connected with Erica. And of course, when the, when the judge realized that you were about to be valedictorian of your 5A, 5A high school and you'd been through everything you'd been through and you were already working and you're providing a living and you were pretty much on your own anyway, it didn't take long to get that emancipation. Well, in 2013, you came to live with us and probably the most dramatic point in that was us sitting in a police station in this massive showdown. And that is really that moment redirected the rest of your 
life. Tell me, tell me what it was like in that police station, how you felt. Yeah. Um, I think, I don't know that at the time I could have articulated any of this as, you know, a 16 year old, but, um, it was just really unsettling. And I remember that night I was supposed to go to winter jam with my friends. And so I also remember just being really annoyed that I wasn't at winter jam, (laughs) Uh, but through this crazy series of very clearly God orchestrated events, um, the social worker who showed up was a pastor down the road who knew you and knew your reputation and the judge that he called happened to be a friend of another man who had been on that mission trip. And that man had told that judge my story. And so he had already heard about me. And um, so when that social worker called that judge, that judge turned over custody of me from the state to the church um, and the church gave it to you. And, uh, and that is, I mean, I, people don't even believe me when I tell people that because it's just so unheard of, but, um, that's when y'all became my foster parents. And then it was Christmas of 2013 that you became my parents' parents. And I remember that first night I stayed with y'all. I had, I'd gone through like a, a breakup with a college boyfriend. And, um, I remember praying after that breakup, just like, Lord, like, I know, I know that I'm a mess, but I just want someone to, to see me and see that I'm a mess and, and tell me that and tell me that they're going to love me forever anyways. And that night, um, Ma Elizabeth, your wife, my mom, uh, told me that. Mm. And as we were putting sheets on the bed, she had no idea I prayed that prayer. And I just remember thinking like, Lord, I just wanted a boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> And instead I got this whole family. And so, um, of course it was, it was a learning process from there, but I remember knowing from the start, like the Lord is, is in this. Yeah. And I think it's important for people to remember who are listening to the story, you know, because we think about adoption and fostering and, and sometimes when we're looking to do something like that, we think about how difficult it is on the family who's going to be bringing in this, this person. It's like you and I have talked about, I call you a survivor. And a survivor has learned to make decisions and to protect themselves emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically. So coming into a new family, it really wasn't just a huge adjustment for us. It was a bigger adjustment for you because you didn't know how to do family, right? Tell us, tell us what it was like to come to be a part of an existing household. Yeah. So when I, when I lost my dad, that was really like the start. So I was 10 and that was kind of the start of my period as an orphan. And, um, so from 10 to 17, I had not been part of a family and being part of a family is just something you learn how to do as you do it. And so when you're 11, you know how to be an 11 year old in a family and you know how to be a 12 year old in a family. And so I had missed all of these years And I got there at 17 and I no longer knew how to be a part of a family at all, much less as a 17 year old. And so I remember y'all's patience with me as I would ignore phone calls and not tell you where I was and things like that. And it was just unbelievable to me that anyone would care where I was or what I was doing um, or that they would want that information 
to keep me safe and not to misuse it against me. And yeah. so I felt very like, if they know too much, they'll hurt me. Um, or if I let them love me too much, then when they inevitably leave, I, I'll just be destroyed and I can't go through that. Yeah. Um, so and just, I think, Erica, one of the one of the mistakes I think that sometimes people make, and it could be on the family side or on the adoptee <clears throat> side, is sometimes we compare our beginning to somebody else's middle or ending. And we, and we, we focus on how difficult it is or, you know, we're like, oh, they're never going to love me or, or she's never going to come around. I remember saying to you, you know, I just grabbed your face and looked at you and said, so I don't start crying. <clears throat> and I said, we love you and we don't need any money from you. We don't need you to be perfect. And if you ever choose to want to leave, we will still love you. Like we were just trying to create a foundation where you could win. Like we wanted to help you win, but I, I felt like early on you were comparing where you were and looking at other people's middle or ending and just, and it was so difficult for you. Now, let me shift out of here so I don't start crying. Yeah, you got to stop. I know the boys. We're all crying, Scott. You I know the boys. Sorry, I'm so sorry. I'm an emotional creature. Um, the boys were a big part of this too, right, Erica? That's like, I, there was a, wasn't there a, a time when, when we were talking to them and they were like, I don't, I don't remember Erica ever not being our sister or something like that. What, what happened? So Noah was young enough when I joined that he, he never, as soon as I was there, it was like, I don't even know if he could really talk yet. So as soon as he had language for it, I was his sister. Um, but Caleb was old enough that he did for a period, remember a time where I wasn't. And Noah had introduced me as his sister to someone. And Caleb said, no, she's not. And I was like, Oh, um, and then maybe a year later, you know, that was when he was like three years old, I think. And he was just like, you're just living with that. You know, I don't know who you are. And then um, I think a year later, he had forgotten that. And he wrote something in school um, where he like introduced me to his pre-K teacher or something. And he was like, and this is my sister. She goes to college in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> And at that point, he had no recollection of a time when I wasn't a part of the family. And you were in. You were I was in, in at that it. point. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Well, like it's been difficult. It's been just really one of the most beautiful things that, uh, that we've ever seen or been a part of. But the really cool thing I want people to hear here is that this adoption and fostering, this is why this is so personal to me, is that there's a backside of this. Like we want to help people win. We want to provide the foundation for them to have that relational value and equity so we can help others win, especially our, our strong, healthy families. And, and where are you now? Because I want people to see, you know, like if that first judge could ever see this video and know where you are compared to that night in the police station, like he would just have the biggest smile on his face. Tell us, tell us about degree school and this really cool guy named Kyle. <laughs> sure, sure. So I went to Baylor for college and got my degree in neuroscience with a minor in religion. And then I moved from there to North Carolina, where I am now. And I went to Southeastern Seminary 
And I just graduated um, in May with a degree in Master of Arts in Intercultural Studies with the hopes of doing missions in the future, um, specifically to trafficking victims. And two weeks after I graduated, I married the love of my life, the sweetest man in the world, Kyle White. And um, I say that because I'm a newlywed and I love him and I love talking about him, but also because when you combine the statistics of my life, when you see like I was a girl who lost her dad at a young age um, and then I was abused for over two years um, and then I was in foster care. And so the the life that I should have now, the kind of man that I should have ended up with um, is not is not my story anymore. And um, that's because I had a family who did everything for me. And because I had the example of my dad of, of Scott Sullivan to show me like, this is what a man looks like when he's kind to his children and when he loves his wife. And um, that's, that's the kind of man that you should wait for. And that's the kind of man that I ended up with. And so, now, Kyle and I live in a small town um, about an hour south of Raleigh in North Carolina, and um, there are cows in the field behind us that we love watching, and we're looking forward to, um, yeah, just continuing to build our life here and to love the church community we found, and I, um, we were on our way to Charleston for our honeymoon, and I asked him, like, so when should we start the foster care application to be foster? And he said, let's wait till we get home and we can talk about that. And, uh, so we're excited to do for others what was done for me and hopefully to, to continue to generationally love foster kids and, and let them know love the way that I have. That's beautiful. It is a fantastic story. And Lorna, Mission Georgia. And the reason that I wanted to bring this on for you guys, because you know that I, I haven't shared this with our tribe yet, is I want to just highlight a win for, for how you can do the same thing of how God could use you, could use your family, because it really is. She has changed our family way more than, than what we have done to invest into her. And so Lorna, Mission Georgia, changing lives, helping other people create their own Erica story. How can they connect with you? How can they get more information on Mission Georgia and all of these five areas? Yeah, well, I just first of all want to say, Erica, thank you for sharing your story. I mean, you're you're sharing, you're opening up a very tender and traumatic time in your life. And I, I want our listeners to know that it's unusual to hear a story like this because a lot of times, um, you know, kids who have gone through this experience and who are now adults, um, they, you know, they haven't had the healing in Christ. And so they're not yet at this point. And so it's really a blessing that you're able to share this with us uh, so that we can hear how, you know, the reality of what it's like to go through this experience. And I think a lot of people are going to be helped and will be equipped um, to help, like even if they don't even know anything about Mission Georgia, what you, your testimony, the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony is what God uses. So for Mission Georgia, yes, we this is absolutely um, what we want to see more of. Uh, and so missiongeorgia.org, um, we have our five areas of focus. And right now, during the month of September, we're, we're all really as a Georgia Baptist family coming around 
this opportunity to engage our state um, and bring the gospel healing, the healing power of the gospel to deep brokenness. Um, we're coming around that through our prayer emphasis, through our offering emphasis. We've even got some special events that are going to be having. We're going to be having some foster care awareness events, uh, lots of things going on. So we've got videos on our website. Um, lots of ways that you can connect with us. So if you'll just go to missiongeorgia.org and then you can click on the offering tab and there's a whole slew of resources. And even as you said earlier, Scott, if, if someone would like to request a speaker to come and share testimonies and, and how God is at work, even in this brokenness that we're seeing in our state, um, they can do that throughout the year. So that, yes. that Mission Georgia resource is, is year round because um, these needs are year round and we're helping our churches meet that need with the hope of Christ. That's it. And, and I've got one speaking engagement in September and Lorna, I have uh, segregated the other ones out and, and protected those so that I can be available to speak and others also. And friends, there are all kind of allies out there with Mission Georgia, with what we're doing here. I know Kenneth Acock is one of my discipleship consultants and he works for full time for families for families. And that's what they do. And it actually doesn't cost the family any money, doesn't cost the church any money. So there are so many ways to get involved in here and to help people win. Let me close this out here because friends, there's this whole other world out there where tens of thousands of children are living without parents, where humans are being trafficked for sex. And many of those are children where children can't read and they will almost certainly spend a lifetime in poverty in jail time where mothers are having babies and they cannot get care that they need for herself or for that baby, where people are fleeing persecution and they're coming to America and they're not going to hear the gospel. And then they're dying to spend an eternity without Christ. Well, my team is not okay with that. Lorna is not okay with that. Mission Georgia is here to help change the entire fabric of that discussion. Your cooperative program dollars helps us to do that, giving to the Mission Georgia offering. We hope that you'll take that up. That goes straight to combating these five areas, and we hope that you'll give generously. Erica White, I love you, sweetheart. Thank you for jumping on with us and for simply being incredible. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> and Lorna Bias. Lorna, thank you for championing these five causes among Georgia Baptists in our state with Mission Georgia. And again, Lorna, give us one more time. Where can people get more information on Mission Georgia and, and connect with you? Yeah, missiongeorgia.org. And then you can also look for us. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, you can look for Mission Georgia online as well. And uh, we'll love to connect. Yeah, and thank you, Erica, again. Scott, thank you. You and Elizabeth, your family, thank you. Yeah, you bet. And thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Mike Taylor, for producing for us. And uh, make sure that you do leave a comment. That's going to get you entered into that big drawing for all the swag we're going to give away for this week. And I pray that you will allow what you've heard today to impact your life, to make a real difference as we seek to make world-impacting disciple makers. Thanks for listening. We want to continue the conversation from today's broadcast in a learning community near you. These learning communities are designed to celebrate your biggest wins, resource your greatest need, and help you finish well. We also want to give you a free gift, the five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple makers. You can download this resource by going to ministryboom.com. 
This five-page PDF is a discipleship alignment checklist. The Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptists to the cooperative program. For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, visit gabaptist.org discipleship. Engage with us on your time through Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and all podcast platforms. Lastly, if you've benefited from this conversation today, please share this with a friend as we seek to help churches make world-impacting disciple-makers.